0: Hello and thanks for listening to the Canopy Life Podcast. My name is Evan Chasteen and I am your host alongside Christy Gordy, the founder of Canopy Life Academy. And in today's episode, we talk a little bit about innovation. Christy, how does innovation fit into the puzzle that is Canopy Life?
1: Sure. Well, as you know, Canopy Life, its vision is to empower vulnerable children to become godly innovators. And there's a lot of pieces to that puzzle. We have four main programs. There's the academic program, which focuses on critical thinking leadership. There's our home life program, which focuses on emotional care and health of our students. The spiritual program, which focuses on godly character. But the innovation piece is a really exciting piece. Our innovation program, the goal is to give them the hard skills that they need to cultivate an idea to market, grow a healthy business, lead with integrity. And so we're really excited about helping kids find the tools they need to overcome that unemployment rate in Kenya, create a job for themselves that doesn't just serve their own needs of income, but serves others.
0: Love it. All right. Uh, So you're about to listen to a conversation of Chrissy and I talking a little bit about the things uh, you just mentioned, unemployment rate and a child's journey to innovating and maybe being a business owner in their community. Hope you Enjoy. So Christy, we've talked about the unemployment rate in Kenya a couple times. I think briefly mentioned it in some podcasts before today. Let's spend a little bit of time talking about it because it's obvious why unemployment is an issue on a, on a macro level for an economy, for society to function uh, well. But what does it mean on an individual level for the children growing up in a rural community in Kenya?
1: Uh, Well, basically, what it means is that there's no jobs waiting for them. I know that sounds really logical, (laughs) Uh, but can you imagine growing up beating all the odds to make it to high school? Because there's only about a 50% chance that they're going to get to high school. And then maybe even beating the odds of getting into college, which is an even lower percent. I haven't been able to find a really accurate number. I've seen I've seen that it may be as low as 3%. I don't actually think that's accurate. I think it's okay. higher than that.
0: I'm going to ask another question that's yeah. totally fine if you don't have the answer yeah. to. Do you know if actually going to college or completing college increases your chance of getting a job in Canada? Well, that's
1: exactly the point that I'm making. I okay. do it, think it increases your chances, but you're all competing for the same small amount of jobs. So for instance, the uh, number of people who I've ridden in their taxi and they have a college degree, but they were not able to find a job with it is actually pretty common. Gotcha. Um, and there's a lot, a, a little bit more so than here, there's a lot of different kinds of certificates and diplomas at that collegiate level. It's not necessarily always representing a four-year degree, but no matter how much schooling they get, there is not a job necessarily waiting for them in that industry. Or if it's an industry that's um, fairly useful, there might be a lot of people with that same job, like plumbers and electricians, every time you turn around, there's someone who technically can be a plumber or electrician. So how do you elevate yourself to be the one chosen? Right, right. right.
0: Um, so, so without that education, the chances are, are much lower to get those same jobs. Much so lower. So you're valued more as an employee, as an asset yeah. to an organization if you've com- completed a college education. Well, it's or definitely going to put you
1: ahead. Yeah, gotcha. it's going to put you way ahead. But even then, there may not be a job. Okay. waiting. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that unlike how I think that would affect Americans, I do think that Kenyans have an un- unbelievable and maybe even unrealistic level of hope. Hope that if they work hard, they can achieve their dreams. Yeah. Um, there's not like this pervasive hopelessness in kids, but at some point there is this wake up call that they have not there's not a job waiting and they're going to have to hustle and struggle. And I don't, I'm diving in deeper even now to talk to the parents and the adults currently living in those communities to see what their perspective is on it. I think whenever you come out of that kind of dire situation, you have to have perpetual hope, but that hope isn't necessarily founded in the realities of having a chance at a job. So this unemployment rate puts the burden on people to figure (laughs) out where their income is going to come from.
0: So if you ask a child or even somebody that is going into a high school or college education environment who still carries a lot of hope with them, if you ask them what the challenges would be to them getting a job, would they state the unemployment rate? Are they aware no. that the unemployment rate's an issue?
1: You will never hear that.
0: Okay. Interesting.
1: It It is really interesting. Now, I'm speaking from my experience in the rural communities. Right, right. I've never once heard someone in the rural communities say that the challenge between them... They will always say that the challenge is their education. They're okay. never going to quote the unemployment rate. Um, in the Nairobi area, that because it's a much broader knowledge there, um, that may be different. But I ha- I'm speaking from my experience rurally.
0: In the rural communities, people yeah. aren't saying...
1: There's an unemployment There's rate. There's an unemployment
0: rate <laughs> right. that's affecting my right. ability to provide for my family. Right.
1: And that may even be the distance and the hope is that they're hoping they'll move to Nairobi and find a job, not realizing that that unemployment rate is true nationwide. I see. Nationwide.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, has this been an issue in Kenya or, or rural Kenya? First, is there is there different unemployment rate numbers between the two? I, I haven't seen that
1: those. No. Gosh, okay. I wish I knew the answer to that. that <laughs> but I haven't seen this. Yeah. yeah.
0: So has this been an issue in Kenya for a long time?
1: We get our stats from the World Factbook, which is a CIA-based statistical. uh, From my experience, Kenya has always been a developing country. I've been working in Kenya for 15-plus years, and, of course, there's been unemployment. But when I have to look back statistically, um, according to the World Factbook... um, the unemployment rate was as high as 40% even in the early thousands in 2000, 2001. So I don't know how far back it goes or even how far they were recording it. Um, But it does seem to have been a problem for a very long time.
0: Have they made progress in that time?
1: I I, I mean, I definitely see it. I see a lot of progress there. Kenya has a growing entrepreneurial middle class and it's steady. The growth is really steady. Um, But, and this is, I'm quoting... The World Factbook, the economic development has been impaired by weak government and corruption. Um, There just is a need for more infrastructure in order to create those jobs that they're trying to create.
0: Yeah, yeah. Who is leading the charge bringing a resolution to this unemployment issue in Kenya?
1: This is starting to get out of my area of expertise. I okay. won't lie; I do tend to, especially working rurally, I do tend to get kind of siloed. But I do know the Kenyatta administration, who the president has been taking, making incredible strides okay. to strengthen that infrastructure. Yeah. Um, I, I mean it, that infrastructure continues to hamper Kenya's efforts to grow uh, on its annual growth. But but the Kenyatta administration has been making such strides. Um, bringing in investments, um, getting, um, capital for projects like, um, they, uh, five or six years ago, they finished a major highway through the city and they also, um, finished, just finished a train that runs from Nairobi to Mombasa. It used to take like eight hours to get there and now it's like a four hour train ride. And so they're building the infrastructure. Um, I don't know how much they're able currently to combat the corrupt, the corruption, Um, But they're trying to build up the infrastructures financially and internally um, to combat that program. It's just a slow process because they're having
0: to fight against a lot. Totally. Whenever, I want to clarify something real quick because I am not quite sure, and maybe people listening here in the States aren't either. You mentioned an administration. Did you say Kenyatta? Kenyatta. mm -hmm. And is that a person? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Who is that?
1: Um, He's the president. Okay. So he's the president mm -hmm. and and
0: his administration is making progress building infrastructure to, to solve this issue yes gotcha okay I just wanted to clarify that yeah
1: there's also been significant and I and again this is an area where I've seen growth and I'm trying we've been trying to get out of our own uh, you know season of getting the organization to be stable so we could continue focusing and exploring in this but there has been significant traction at a grassroots roots level um, in the infrastructure needed to grow Kenya's Silicon Savannah so this is the landscape of the digital industry the startups that are growing Um, There has been a fairly significant nod from the government saying that they're going to set aside a separate technological city outside of Nairobi for all of these industries to thrive. There has seemed to have been a lot of, uh, we'll call it diplomacy going on, um, bureaucracy, and and it has not allowed that city to get started yet, but it is a part of Kenya's vision for 2030. They have this 2030 vision they've been pushing for a long time and the existence of the city for the digital industry is a part of that. So there is this understanding that it's needed, but on the grassroots level, it's thriving. There's all sorts of incubators and startups and hubs um, on the western side of the city that are focusing on building this industry. And it it is creating jobs. It's part of my I get really excited about it because it's part of my desire for our kids to join in on that industry because you need a mindset and hard skills, but the overhead for a digital company is pretty low um, to get started to get the idea off the ground, and then it puts you not only does it put you in contact with revenues and companies around the world, it also allows you to create solutions, um, especially apps. And,
0: and right, not, like right. you can
1: create real solutions A for the global economy,
0: it, yes. that that also helps the local exactly or provides jobs to people exactly yeah.
1: um and so that that is why it's part of our desire that our kids will one day learn coding and minimum learn the logist, the logical mindsets and the problem-solving mindsets that would make coding easier for them but there is this industry available to them and if the tech city ever does end up getting built it's within about 30 miles of where we're at which would make it a great outlet for our students to absolutely engage.
0: that's really cool so let's uh, i want to talk a, l- a little bit about now we, we have a better understanding of the, the problem of unemployment. Something Canopy Life does or encourages is innovation. And, and that's one of the ways that you're working to prepare these students, these children from rural Africa to become godly innovators is, is kind of how you put it. Um, so what does being an innovator mean to you, mean to the, the people working at Canopy Life?
1: Right. Well, Webster defines innovator as someone who's making a change by introducing something new. And for us, that is pretty much the same. It just means solving problems, whether social or economic, with people in mind. That's a godly innovator. If if it's business, it's a business that's created to solve a problem while also serving people. Um, If it's a social solution, again, serving others, people being the front the front of mind as you're creating these solutions and not just creating a business to make a ton of money for yourself, although that will be helpful to the country, right? it's that the business itself is also solving a problem and bringing something new to the table.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned their godly innovator. I think I mm-hmm. mentioned, missed that in the question, but that's yeah. what canopy life describes their mission as yeah. uh, creating these or, or helping children become these godly innovators. Yes. The difference, I hear you saying, in, in just being an innovator and a, and a godly innovator was what? To me, it's that service piece. Okay.
1: Yeah, it's we're all placed here to glorify God and to serve him from a place of loving union. These are business leaders, entrepreneurs, social leaders who are exhibiting godly character and caring for those that they are leading. Um, and I think that's a big deal because leadership historically, not just in Kenya, but in a lot of developing countries who have won their independence in the last 50 or 60 years, Um, it is very common to see leaders who are using their power, resources, and ideas to serve themselves. And we have this saying at Canopy that real leaders serve others with their power, resources, and ideas. And so the godliness is using that position, that idea for a business, that the resources that come your way um, as you develop it, as you're successful, using that to serve other people. That's the godly part.
0: Yeah, that's a really, really great definition of a godly innovator and the world. I mean, I can see how that would mightily impact a country. But I Mm -hmm. think if uh, more people adopted that type of view on being an innovator and and being an innovator for the service of others, the world would would be a better place for it. Right.
1: I think sometimes we even bring our ideas as in in America, (laughs) innovation is not, we're founded on innovators and people wanting to do it different, but somehow we were still doing it to serve ourselves sometimes. And I think even in, even in development work, and you'll see this all the time, it's the reason why books like When Helping Hurts exist is that people have an idea of what will solve a problem, but they are doing it to implement their idea, not actually serving others or can, having empathy for where that person's coming from. Like, are they working with somebody or right, just right. bringing an idea to the table because they want to solve a problem? And so it's different when you talk about serving other people with your idea. It's different than saying, I want to serve other people with this idea. Are you actually serving them, and yeah, that yeah. has to be collaborative. There has to be a willingness to be humble. The serv the traditional servant leader mentality that you- yeah. that a lot of churches speak about.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, okay, so practically, what does teaching kids to be a godly innovator look like?
1: Uh, well, we have been developing an innovation curriculum, and at the core of that curriculum
0: is design thinking. So design thinking, uh, I you. I've heard you talk about this, I think, before, mm-hmm. not on the podcast yet. Can you tell me more uh, about design thinking or where this term came from, what the different pieces sure. are?
1: Sure. Uh, well, I believe the term was first coined by John Arnold in his book Creative Engineering. Um, and then it became a part of, of the development of IDEO. It's a design consultancy that is solving. Social problems, economic problems. What is that company? IDEO. I- I- <laughs> I'm not sure. I'll be honest. I don't know. I've never heard someone say it out loud, but I think okay. it's called IDEO. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we lean heavily into the work done at Stanford University D School or Design School for the process. They, they call it um, human centered design, or if you want to take it in reference back to what you were just saying, I kind of call it um, servant hearted design. It's this idea of solving problems with the human in mind. Hmm. Um, you can find, there's a lot of different kinds. Like when you just Google design thinking, <laughs> you'll see a lot of different, um, similar, but slightly different definitions of the process for us. Um, and out of the D school, the process involves six steps. It's empathy, um, design, but ideation, prototyping, testing, and
0: reiteration. You mentioned the D school. Yeah. Was that where they, that's the... They teach design, design thinking, thinking. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Gotcha. and there's schools that grow out of that. We actually haven't been able to send anyone to that training yet, but we, we soak in as much information as we can get. There's some experts in the Atlanta area that have taught us and spoken to us about the process. So hopefully one day we'll get to send some of our Kenyan staff to that D school Um, right now we're learning secondhand as much as we can to grow our program.
0: That's great. Could you go over those aspects again real quick and maybe uh, say a sentence on how it works at Canopy Sure, and I actually said one of
1: them wrong, so I'm glad you asked me to repeat (laughs) it. Um, The first stage is empathy. That would be, it's what I'm talking about, about asking as many questions of the people you're trying to solve for, Um, trying to understand the problem from there perspective and then the next stage is define so you're defining the problem that you're trying to solve um, and that's important we'll go back to that in a minute but okay. after you define the problem then you ideate or brainstorm basically as many solutions as possible. There's some really fun ways of brainstorming in this process. Yeah. No wrong um,
0: ideas here, right? Exactly. Like just throw it on the board, get it out of your head and.
1: Exactly. And ways to do it collaboratively, ways to narrow down what idea you then want to prototype and prototyping. I love prototyping in the design thinking model. It's basically create an example of what using the solution is as quickly and inexpensively as possible. Like if you can do it with construction paper and scraps of stuff, that's the best way, even if it's an app. So if you're going to prototype an app, how can you build it an example of it in the cheapest way possible so it looks like you put no time into it. And then you take it to those people that you're building the solution for and you get their feedback. That's the next stage. And the reason you want it to look as cheap as possible is so they don't they don't they're not hedging your um, they're not hedging their answers around what they think you've invested in it.
0: Yeah, yeah. already
1: and they'll be very honest with their feedback. And then the last stage is to reiterate or what we also call redefine. So after you get feedback, you assess not for the, the significance of the solution, but are you actually still, did you define the problem accurately? Because you can create a phenomenal app that's solving the wrong problem.
0: But so it's still solving a solution, that one that was defined at the beginning.
1: Maybe, yes, but the one at the beginning the, may or may not be the actual right, solution, right. The, the actual problem. And Because that's when you realize that a lot of issues have deeper levels than what someone someone may even come to you and say, I have a problem with this. And as you start to solve that problem, you realize that was not their real problem it was the, the, the symptom of the problem. And yes, so yes. you redefine the problem over and over again. A lot of times you do end up sticking with that same prototype of a business or a service or a product. Um, but you can use design thinking even in your meetings. Uh, I mean like how to make your meetings more effective, how to, um, come to a conclusion, how to even define what your meeting is going to be about. Um, what problems are you going to sit down with your di- directors or your staff and solve? Are you solving the right problem? Y'all could work forever on an infrastructure for how right, to right. how to communicate internally in the office, but if it's not actually communication, it's everyone showing up at the meeting. That's the real problem, <laughs> you know. It's it's yep. you know you have to define the right problem and um, and it has a lot of empathy and people centeredness to it. So that's the process that we use.
0: So I think I love anything that requires or encourages empathy. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a a good. Uh, if somebody brings something to the table and it has to do with having more empathy for other people, I'm always all in. Uh, yeah, cool. All right, I'm in design thinking. Uh, mm-hmm. I think so. You're saying people can use this in their organizations. Uh, people here in this this the United right. States can learn from this right. way of thinking, empathize right. with others, come up with right. ideas. Defining problems is huge. Uh, even in our own lives, mm-hmm. we tackle problems all the time that are maybe not even. Problems. uh, Exactly. I
1: actually learned about this. It's the craziest. I had never heard of design thinking. Um, I used to do swing dancing and I was looking for a new place to go swing dancing. A friend of mine said, Well, my roommate goes swing dancing. You should meet up with her sometime. I was connected to her friend. We started swing dancing and at the very first dance we went to during a break, I was like, so what do you do? And she was like, well, I teach innovation through design thinking and leadership development. And I was like, oh, I've started a school (laughs) in Kenya that's trying to develop leaders who innovate. She was like, I could help you with that. And she consults on design thinking all around. She has done everything from consulting the CDC on some of their processes to helping schools that are trying to solve an infrastructural issue or even how to use design thinking more in their educational process. So you can literally use it. Anywhere. She's used the process with corporations who are trying to refine um, maybe staff involvement or staff enjoyment. You know, it's that it, you can literally use it
0: anywhere. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay, so there's this really fun part uh, for the children at Canopy Life. They get to put this into practice a little bit. Uh, with something called The Quest, yes. which I really like the name of that. <laughs> it's fun to say, The Quest. Uh, it's very, it has some mystery involved. If you don't know mm-hmm. what it is yet, I'm just letting people hang on the thread. What is The Quest? So can you tell us what The Quest is and how this engages the design thinking uh, processes that they learn at school
1: sure so the quest was created by our innovation director his name is davis and it's very similar to shark tank if you've ever seen shark tank tank or innovation type challenges throughout the course of their time in the innovation program our students are learning a a plethora of soft and hard skills right like they learn everything from design thinking how to brainstorm how to identify a problem but also money management creating a budget. Um, And then hard skills like learning the Google suite, how to use a computer, prototyping. In order to prototype, you have to know some tinkering because if you're going to build an example of something, do you even know how to use a hammer and nails? Do you know how to use scissors and a hot glue gun? You know, when you're like all of these skills.
0: So, so these are all, th- all, everything you just mentioned are things that the children are, right, are working are learning. actively mm-hmm. learning. Te- awesome.
1: Technical drawing, shading, things like that.
0: And they'll have Chromebooks. You mentioned yeah. like Google Suite, mm-hmm. things like that. That's awesome. Right.
1: So we have Chromebooks right now. We have enough for one person in every class. We hope to one day have a Chromebook for every student in the okay. school. Um, so the quest is kind of a way to combine all of those skills into practical action. The students create a business that they believe solves a problem. It's completely hypothetical. Yeah, right? yeah. So some of them are a little, I mean, they are in seventh and eighth grade, so they're, it's a little off, you know, off the charts. But um, they have to compl- uh, complete a business plan, create a logo, um, a website, an elevator pitch for their business. They have to create a budget that includes an understanding of what taxes will be due and the wages for their employees. Um, and then they have to suggest some of the sources of, in- of funding to get their business started. I mean, all the way down to creating invoices and receipts that their um, company would put out there. And then they um, present it to their to the staff, to the kids. We haven't actually gotten to the first presentation. This is the first year. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. Have you done this in the past? No, this this is the first year we've... Yeah, well, they're in the middle of it, so they have had some ideas. We had one student this year who uh, wanted to start a fashion line using recyclable plastics and... Materials. Kenya has recently banned plastic bags because there's so much trash and um, waste in the country. So
0: I'm a fan of that. Are you a fan of that? Yes, absolutely. Yes, my (laughs) wife and I were in California this last year for like a month or so, and we've gotten so used to not using plastic bags at the Mm -hmm. grocery store anymore. And it maybe takes two minutes Mm -hmm. longer. So uh, well, in
1: a country that lacks some of the infrastructure for even trash removal, much less recycling, it's such a problem. And so she just. Uh, she pitched it as being a good steward of the planet. Um, it's amazing. You know, we had a another student who wanted to make a Google Chromebook that can fit in your pocket. And it was interesting. Her reasoning <laughs> was because Chromebooks are one of the most stolen items. like oh, And she wanted to make it more... In Kenya? In Kenya. Okay. That was her... I don't know where she got that experience. Yeah, yeah. I, I have no I mean, doubt that's in, to a, back I mean, it up. And it it's an
0: intriguing <laughs> problem to bring right. up, though. Right. Uh, I love that. Uh,
1: and then recently, you know, we're always looking to grow our kids' idea banks so they even know what problems are, much less solutions to solve them. And recently a team came and we had their, for many of them, the very first water balloon fight they'd ever had. Uh, It was epic. Um, (laughs) And afterwards, one of the students noticed that the worst part of that epic experience was having to clean up all of the balloon shreds. So his (laughs) business idea was to create a biodegradable balloon, uh, which I mean, I don't know how you, how that would happen but it was sure. an idea worth pursuing like Absolutely. how do we make biodegradable plastics yeah. and, the best so,
0: ideas are going to be the ones that right? you don't have an immediate answer <laughs> to like i love right. That. right right i think
1: it should probably be for a grander purpose than cleaning up after water balloon fights but yeah, it was yeah. still the product
0: the product could the, be phenomenal. the uses of that yes and that's oftentimes so i, I read a book by jay Samit called disrupt you mm. and he talks through these ideas that he would come up with and oftentimes uh, he he used several examples of Fortune 100 companies who were started off of another idea, yes. and they created something that like Post-it that notes. wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's a total failure. Right, and then they spin off of that into something yeah. else. So just the process of defining a problem, coming mm-hmm. up with an idea to solve that, mm-hmm. and then the uses could be right. Uh, completely unexpected once you create something that does that
1: my dream for the quest is that as they go into high school it will become maybe like you said sometimes these ideas are really big and it could take decades for them to research but become a real business that they could start pursuing um that maybe by the time they are seniors in high school the presentations of the quest are something we're we're legitimately seeking funding for Um, yeah yeah or that, um, especially, there's a reason why we pick multiple children from each rural community. We don't just pick one child from one village and another child from another. They they come in groups of four or five. Okay. And part of that is for just the ease of them helping each other out with transportation and right. having a sense of belonging. But another another big piece is how great would it be if the four or five of them came around a single business idea and took it back to their rural community and worked together? developing that idea. Um, So as they get older, as we continue running the quest, that's my dream is that it becomes less of a theoretical skills assessment and more and more of this real thing that they can apply in the real world to bring real change
0: to people's lives. That's incredible. Is there a time... Do you know when these ideas are all going to be presented and everything this year? Can we get an update whenever that happens? Sure. sure. They've been
1: presented as they go. I don't know what the final presentation is.
0: I would imagine at the end of the year, which
1: for them would be this coming fall. Yeah. Uh, But absolutely,
0: I'll update you. I would love to hear those stories and share those stories here on the podcast of Absolutely. ideas that kids are coming up with. And Maybe in.
1: we can even capture one of the elevator pitches on yes. on this podcast if I'm there this summer and can capture one.
0: That would be incredible. And just a way, uh, I think that's very, a, ta- a tangible way for people to know that what they're giving to is making mm-hmm. a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're actually supporting children learning how to define problems and come up with solutions to those problems Yes in a country that is in need of that because yes. the opportunities are just not there. You, you say it often, the odds are against these children mm-hmm. and Canopy Life is working to flip those odds so mm-hmm. that they have a chance in uh, providing for their family, providing for their community, innovating for the service of others. I think yes. uh, all of those things, that's amazing. It's really fun. It's exciting to be a part of. Awesome. Do you have anything else on innovation uh, before we wrap up here?
1: I mean, there's so much more we could talk about, but I really appreciate the the questions you've been asking because I do think it creates this broader perspective of why it's so necessary. Um, And Kenya is on the... I think the thing I would add is that Kenya is on the rise. And part of the gap that we feel like Canopy Life is filling is that there is a lot of innovation in the capital city and even some of the suburban areas, but it will be decades before this innovation reaches the rural villages if someone doesn't stand in the gap. And we're hoping that Canopy Life is going to be that place where rural leaders for the future can get can get ahead and create industries that um, their community can benefit from and yeah. we're learning anyone who would like to be a part of this or who has more insight if who has not in with the d-school or, or wants to help us grow in this area we're very very open to it because innovation is if nothing else collaborative um, and it takes so many voices um, we've We've been trying to take these ideas and reshape them for what the kids can comprehend. Uh, we're jumping a lot of cultural gaps and a lot, not not just Kenya in the U.S., but like urban and rural. Yeah, yeah. Having to jump over a lot of gaps to fill it. Um, and anyone who's been doing that, if there's anyone listening to this podcast who has been trying to implement innovation in a rural or uh, materially
0: poor country, I would love to talk to you. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's cool to end this on a hopeful note, too. Starting with talking about the the odds being against these kids, ending with hope that they can identify problems you're giving them hope that Mm -hmm. that they already have Mm -hmm. but just reinforcing that hope that you can work you can work against these odds and there are people around the world that are there to support you and help you in that journey yeah that's awesome cool uh thanks for the conversation and asante sana everybody hey and thanks again for listening to the canopy live podcast If you have any interest at all in getting involved, there are three ways you can do that on the website. One is you can sponsor a child. We talked a little bit about that last episode. If you have uh, any interest in that, go listen to it and head over and, and check out the opportunities there. The other is you can just make a one-time donation or a recurring gift Uh, monthly. You can do both of those on the website as well. The other way, and probably the most fun way, is you can go on a trip to Kenya with Canopy Life. We call these relation trips and they are just that. You get to build relationships with people on the trip and in Kenya alongside Uh, organization that is doing really really cool work in that area uh thanks for listening and we will be back again here in a couple weeks with another episode cheers